in our midst. For those who are out in our viewing audience outside of the building, you may not understand that, but we do, seeing children in our midst, it lets you know that there is a truly a future, which we already knew, but it's good to see it. I look back, and I see a familiar face that I've not seen here in some time, Joe Terrell. It's good to see you, Joe. We see visitors that we have with us from the far north, from the UP and some as far south as Texas and Florida and places in between. We are glad that you are with us today. We pray that the things that we shall look into God's word will be uplifting, edifying, and cause us to have a closer walk with one another, and especially with God. And we're not unmindful of the things that are going on, even as we speak, that lives are in peril. It was mentioned in the prayer that the hurricane is about to hit, and even as we speak, that eye is coming over, making landfall. I cannot imagine what it's like never having been in a hurricane. Some of you have, and you know the fury that it unleashes, and many lives are in peril right now, and we, we pray that they will be spared. Chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians. Paul is winding down his, what we know of as a second letter. He refers to another letter in his first letter, so this may be at least the third. We don't have the, the first letter that he wrote, but he does make reference to one that he had written. And this is a rather difficult passage. But it's not as difficult as we might think as we look at it. Perhaps... There may be when I come. There's couched within that phrase is, is a lot of what Paul fears and anticipates, but a hope that he has. And I think he, he makes that hope known to these people that this might be what I'm going to find, but I hope not. I hope that the things that I have talked about here isn't what I'm going to find. The church at Corinth, if there was a black sheep of the family, Corinth would have to be it. As we read Paul's first letter, we see that they're embroiled in all kinds of trouble. They, they don't know whether they should follow this person or that person. I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Christ. And Paul spends a lot of time in that first letter trying to straighten things out. Not the least of which he goes on to tell about the problems that one of the brother has as far as incest. I just can't imagine it. And Paul is dealing with this from a distance. If we went back to Acts chapter 18, we would see that Paul had left Athens in chapter 17. And he makes his way to Corinth. Talk about going from 
from two of the great cities of antiquity. Paul deals with the philosophers of the day in Athens. And maybe it's not a coincidence that he, that he writes to the church at Rome eventually and says, I, I've determined to know nothing but Christ Jesus and him crucified. Maybe he had seen that his efforts in arguing in apologetics to philosophy really didn't yield that much. I've decided to know nothing but Christ Jesus and him crucified. And we read in Acts chapter 18 that Paul spends a considerable amount of time in Corinth preaching and teaching, not without trouble, but he is told, spend some time here, for I have many disciples here. So he does. And we read that Paul says, now this is the third time, he's twice here in chapter 13. 12, and then again in chapter 13 here in the second letter, he says, this is the third time I want to come to you. Some people believe that he had visited twice and it was going to be his third visit. Others say he is determined, he wanted, made that mind up three times that he was going to go, but he didn't go. So it might have only been his second. Whatever it is, Paul is anxious about that trip that he is going to make because of the trouble that he anticipates is going to be there. In the corporate world, we may see this as the letter that comes from headquarters, maybe in another city, maybe in another state, maybe in another continent, that says, we've heard you have some problems in your division, and we're going to come, and we hope that you have these things straightened out. I've got a list of things that I want you guys to work out, and when we come, I hope they're all worked out. And sometimes people will say, they're just blowing a lot of smoke. They're really not serious about coming here. And many times we've read, they should have taken that letter a little more seriously than they did. But Paul gives them that little bit of a a warning that when he comes, this is what he hopes to find. His fearful findings in Corinth that he talks about. He hopes that he won't find them as he wished. I really want to see someone who is strong. And you would think that after more than a year and a half of him being there, that he would find people that are strong. After all, this is Paul, the apostle, who has spent all of that time there teaching. But as we read in his first letter, they still have some problems, some very deep-seated problems. As we come down to Chapter 13, pardon me, chapter 12 and verse 21. He says, I fear that when I come again, God may humble me before you, and I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented from impurity, sexual immorality, sensuality that they have practiced. Perhaps that was his worst fear. But back up one more verse to verse 20. For I fear that perhaps when I come I may find you not as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish, that perhaps there might be, and here is a list of things that he hopes he does not find. Quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. 
Did you notice the difference between verse 20 and verse 21? There's a stark difference that he makes note of here. Because verse 21 speaks of those things, he talks about impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality that they have practiced. More of the flesh. But verse 20 deals with those things quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. It is interesting, the the last song that we sung talked about those secret sins that we have. Mark, you mentioned it earlier in the prayer. I caught that because my ears were attuned to it because I'm thinking about this as it pertains to to the lesson. Verse 21, those might be secret sins that we think we can hide. But think of those things that are listed in verse 20. Quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, disorder. A little bit harder to hide, wouldn't you think? It's hard to hide quarreling. It's difficult to conceal anger and jealousy and hostility. Those are things that boil over in a congregation. But Paul says, I fear that, and listen to these possibility words that he uses. The English standard uses, for I fear that perhaps I may find Not as I wish, but I may find, perhaps. He's letting them know that there's a lot of definites that he hears about. Because he is, we find out that he had sent Titus there earlier. What is it that brings people to have these eight that are listed And then those things in verse 21. Paul tells us, and I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented. So the the broad overarching thought today is those things of which we have not repented. Where is the center of these eight that Paul talks about? What causes you and I to quarrel? We could go to James, and he would tell all about that. What is it that causes jealousy and anger and hostility and slander and gossip, conceited? How many more times do I have to say that before a bell begins to go off in our head and a light begins to shine and we think, Those things ought not to be in us. How did we let that take root in our lives? How is it? But Paul gives us a glimpse into this. And I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of those things. 
have not repented of those things. And have not repented of those things. But I thought that I did just before I went under the water. And I was preached the gospel. I was taught of those things. That that's why Christ hung on that cross. To wash away my sins. And I repented of them. But to truly repent. I know we, we don't often understand the implications when we are taught. We see that in the and how fast those were to obey the gospel in the book of Acts. I often make the comment, as it was told to me one time, that when you read of those accounts in the book of Acts, and you find that no one slept, no one ate, or no one drank, until they did what they needed to do to be saved. Don't take my word for it. Read it. That very hour, they went and were baptized. But to repent is a greater act than simply verbally saying, I repent. It is a change of lifestyle. We come over to chapter 13, the next verse after that. And Paul says again, this is the third time I'm coming to you. And as we drop down to verse 5, it says, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or you do not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, and death, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. Now that's also the second time that we have heard that word examine. Because our brother who led us, and the Lord's Supper said, examine yourselves. But it's two different words in the Greek. Somewhat the same concept, but it's two different Greek words. Parazza is this term, examine, to try yourself. Try yourself. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Let's turn over to 2 Peter chapter 1, if you would please. 2 Peter chapter 1, and Peter's going to give us some insight into our walk as well. Second Peter chapter 1, let's begin reading in verse 5. Peter writes, for this... Very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. But now listen to what Peter says next. For if... I've gone through my Bible, and every time the word if occurs, I circle it, I highlight it, I underline it, because what comes next is an if and then statement. 
Typically, that's what comes. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, here's the then, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, therefore, because of these things that I have just told you, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So there are some things that we need to do on a continual basis. This examining, this trying, this making sure of our calling and election. How often should one do this? Is once a week good enough? Maybe once a year, maybe the January 1st, as we begin to think about those New Year's resolutions. That would be a good time, wouldn't you think? More often than once a year? Once in a while, how about? Once a month, on the first day of the month. How about the first day of the week? You made mention that it's a different word for examine, but it's really the making sure that we're doing things for the right reason. It sounds like something to be done quite regularly. Examining ourselves, making, making sure of our calling and election. Backing up to verse 5 of 2 Peter chapter 1, make every effort, every effort in this. Turn one more, two more, three more books to Jude. Jude chapter 1. There's only chapters, one chapter in there, so don't, don't worry about trying to find chapter 2. Jude writes this letter, and it is very similar to what Peter writes in 2 Peter. Some of the things overlap in many ways. And people have questioned as to whether Jude was the one who, who penned this verse, or was it Peter? My personal opinion is that Peter wrote it, and Jude was so impressed by it that he wrote to his friends. But whatever it is, it's important enough for him to say this. Jude said, Beloved to whoever he's writing to, and they're not identified, but he writes to them as his beloved. Although I was very eager to write you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. I have a lot of things that I want to talk to you about that I think would be very, very interesting. I'm paraphrasing this, but he says... It is necessary, it is necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. The most important thing that Jude sees of writing is what he is going to relate to them through the rest of his letter. To contend for the faith. The faith. 
Paul was quite concerned when he wrote to the churches in Galatia. He says, I'm just surprised you're so easily turning away. And he warns them that there are other Gospels. We, we get the impression that it is the Judaizers that are coming into those churches in Galatia and saying, well, you've got to obey the old law and you have to, to, you have to obey circumcision. You have to do all those things with the law. Paul says, I'm just amazed that you're so easily falling for that. He says, but even if I or an angel brings to you a different gospel, let them be accursed. That's so important, he says that twice to them. The faith, the faith of Christ came to this earth to die for us. He says, I want you to contend for this faith. Contend. The Greek word, when I look at the Greek word and Many times I will try to pronounce things only to get your laughter from this. But within that Greek word is to agonize. It is like a wrestling term, to struggle in that way, to contend for the faith. Does that sound like something that you do January 1st of every year? First day of the month? Once in a while. It's something that we do on a regular basis, regular, daily, moment by moment sometimes for us who struggle. I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith. For we back up to 2 Corinthians and look at those eight things that arguing and quarreling and jealousy those things that can take root in our life and little by little take over our life. And Paul says, I'm afraid that some of you have not truly repented of those sexual sins and immorality and sensuality. You've not truly turned away from them. I wonder what city we could compare Corinth to in our modern world. Maybe every town, maybe every congregation needs to consider these words that Paul preaches here to the Corinthians. That it may be something that we look at and examine ourselves and say, I wonder if those things have taken root in me. I wonder if I quarrel with people or if I'm jealous. I wonder if I'm conceited. I wonder. Well, that's part of the examination process. It's part of letting God's word work in you. And as Peter said, make every effort. And I wonder today as we close the lesson, and it's yours. If this is a time for each of us to take stock, might be a modern term, to take account, to examine ourselves and see if some of those things that Paul has listened to, it's quite a list, if that might be in my life. For I look around the world today, and certainly we would never see it in the congregations, would we? Amen?
But we see it so much in our world today. Fighting and arguing and bitterness and jealousy. You think, I sure I'm glad that's not us. And I say that in the same vein that Paul does. When he says, I'm sure I'm not going to find that among you. I'm very hopeful that perhaps maybe I'm not going to find that in you. So as we close this lesson today, and the lesson is yours, the Word of God is able to work in you and I only to the extent that we are in it and let it become a part of us. Because as long as this book is closed and sitting on a shelf or on a table or anywhere unopened, it can't help us. But it is when we choose to open that word up and read it and take it in that it is able to affect us. Have you let the word of God work in your life as a Christian? It's really the question. Have you let it work? And for those who are not in the body of Christ, have you let that word bring faith to you? That word that tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, whoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That he came to this world to give his life as a ransom for you and I. And knowing that, that he gave the best the best, the best of the best for us so that I could spend eternity in heaven. I want that. How can I get that? Well, in the gospel, we're told that once you believe that, God says that we must repent. We must turn from that old life and walk in newness of life. To confess that Jesus Christ is now the Lord, the master, the king of my life. And that final step that brings us into Christ as we read in Romans 6, Colossians 1. To be baptized into Christ. And rise up out of those waters to walk in newness of life. And let the word continue to work in you. Whatever your need is, we stand ready to help in any way that we can. As together we stand and sing.